0: The Gospel of John, 1st chapter, being in verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and He found Philip and said to him, Follow Me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. You may be seated. I'll let you know I'm going to tell you a story, and and I'm not saying this is good or bad. What happened? I'm just telling you what happened, all right? Because it happened to me, and I'm not going to mince words on it. Not going to tell you one way, and it's not that way. It's a story that happened when I was in seminary. I had been appointed to a United Methodist Church down in uh, Thomaston, Georgia. And um, for the first year I was there, you know, we had about 30, 40 folks coming every Sunday. And then, um, then a, a retired Methodist pastor started attending. He was one of those old-time Methodists. I mean, he had been doing it a long time back in the 80s. You know what I mean? He had been in the ministry 60 years. So he would seen from the late 20s all the way through the 80s he had been pastoring. So he got to see what old-time Methodism looked like. And a lot of us here would um, be real um, benefited, I think, by learning a little bit about it. But I- I'll tell you something about the old-time Methodists. They had something called an Amen Corner. Yes. You might say, what's well, an Amen corner? So everybody in the corner in that corner was going, Amen, when they heard something they agreed with and it was noisy. That's right. We had noisy Methodist churches. But we also had something called a class meeting. And some of us are now experiencing that on Sunday evenings. And that was a way where they could help each other be accountable and check in with their faith every single week. In the early Methodist church, It was required. It was not something optional. We've made it optional, and we resume that next Sunday at 5. It's an awesome, awesome thing to do. But the old time Methodists did that, but they also had something else. And I think this came from Wesley's passion, but also because this is what God does. They had a deep passion for a holy life. They wanted to live before God as holy as possible. It wasn't one of these ideas where let's profess faith and, and when nobody's looking, not live it. They really wanted to learn how to be holy. Unfortunately, the old Methodist church has faded in our society. We've lost touch with that kind of church. Now you might say, well... What about if we had one here? I don't mind if people say amen. I don't mind it. I don't mind if you want to live holy before God, and God would like it too. And you would be benefited from it as well. And if you came to our class meeting, I think you would enjoy that. But that doesn't make you an old-time Methodist. It just makes you a person desiring more of God. And that's good too. But Preacher Porter came in, and he was very encouraging to me as a young pastor. We all need someone when we're first starting out to say, hey, you're doing a great job even if you didn't know what you were doing. But someone who'd been there, who wasn't going to say, you know, I would have done it like this, young man. He didn't do any of that. He didn't do any of that. I mean, when I said something right, he was firing up his amen corner. He had one person in it and it was him. He lived the old time Methodist belief everywhere he went. I mean, he was not a quiet man in church. If he heard something he agreed with, he said, Preach it, brother! And I go, now either he's got it, or um, he doesn't got it, and he's losing his mind. (laughs) Either he's retired because he had to, or because he had to. (laughs) One of the two. And, And I found out later, this man was very wise. And, and he always would encourage me to say, You're getting better every week. He'd say, You know, you're doing a good job. I see you growing. And he was uh, very encouraging. But he also, since he was an experienced minister and I wasn't, I felt intimidated. I've never. Been, how often do you get to hear someone who's been doing it for years and you're brand new doing it? And you're going, Oh, he's going to see everything I'm doing wrong. That's what I thought. One day before a Bible study, he didn't come on any other time, but Sunday mornings, it was in, in a midweek service, uh, I came outside of the church and, and I felt the Lord say, praise me. And in my heart, so I started praising him. And I saw this golden glow coming from heaven, coming down all around, and it plopped on me. And I said something that I have no idea what I said. And I understood that God said, I've just anointed you. The Holy Spirit fell. The next Sunday, my sermon must have been different. It had a different power to it, at least what people said. A few weeks after that was the first time I had anybody come forward during the service and ask for Christ to be the Lord of their life. As a matter of fact, it was not only the first time, I didn't, it was so unexpected, I didn't know what to do. So I said, God, you're going to have to help me. I didn't expect someone to actually respond to my sermon. <laughs> You'd expect, if that's what you want to do for the rest of your life, you'd go, you know, I'm ready for people to respond to this. But I wasn't. But on that particular Sunday after that Bible study, Preacher Porter came up to me and said, you got the ghost. (laughs) I thought, "Um, what? And he said, well, you got the second blessing. You got some holiness. And I looked at him again and I said, what are you talking about? He said, something's happened to you. I hadn't told the soul. Preacher Porter saw something. Apparently that old time Methodism showed him some things about God that he can see in other people. Because what had happened to me just a few days before, he could see and and acknowledge it and say, God's going to use you. And that's what he said. God's going to use you. I know it now. After that, he never encouraged me. He just said, great sermon, Pastor. Never had to. He knew he didn't have to because God was. Now, you might say, well, how does this relate to Nathaniel?" Nathanael, who comes to Jesus on recommendation of Philip, And he's criticizing Philip for saying the Nazarene... (laughs) The Nazarene is the Messiah. We looked at his story a couple weeks ago. Last time I was in the pulpit, we saw he was under a fig tree before Philip came. And I believe he was crying out for a Messiah, for healing for the nation. The political climate there was a lot like our political climate here. And he also was ready to give up. But... I believe in Nathaniel's prayer at that time. He said, God, if you're real, show up. I'm almost desperate here. Can you do something? And when Philip says, we found the Messiah, he questioned, but that was God's answer. But he still went. And he asked where Jesus was from before he went. When he said Nazareth, he kind of smirked. But he still went to see if his brother was right or wrong, if it was the Messiah. You see, he expected to see somebody who wasn't any good because they were from Nazareth when he took his brother's advice to come and see Jesus. Jesus had caught him off guard when he said he saw him under the fig tree. Jesus saw his tears and heard the cry of Nathanael's heart under that tree and told him so. He also told Nathanael, this is an Israelite who's not filled with deceit but really, really cares. Into that uh, verse, when he first meets Jesus, he said, This is a man, an Israelite, in whom is no deceit. At the end of verse 47, what he says that phrase means, This man has a heart for God and for the nation. And it's under Roman oppression, and he's broken by it. That's what that statement means. Now, this would have been a great story, and this is what Nathaniel says You saw me? I don't know how you saw me, but you must be the son of God, the king of Israel. I believe. And this would have been a great story because this is when Nathanael got converted to Jesus. But Jesus knows this is just the beginning for Nathanael. Nathanael does not. He thinks, I found the Messiah. This is great. Everything's good now. This is what Israel was praying for for years and years and years as a Messiah. Here he is. Everything's fine. Done. End of story. No. Beginning of story. Not end of story. You see, Nathaniel had a great testimony. He saw me, and nobody else was around. And I went to see him, and he said he saw me, and, and I know he's God. But twenty years later, that story is going to be a little old when he's facing trials and temptations, isn't it? Going to be a little bit of an old testimony. Now, a great story goes a long way, but it doesn't help a whole lot when the dark nights come in or the old questions. And new fears and stronger enemies and doubts come in and assail upon you. Got a question for you this morning. Knowing Jesus, have you stopped at meeting him thinking it was the end of what you wanted and not the beginning? Have you stopped at the beginning? Is your story about Jesus in your life an old one? Is the last thing he's done been a long time ago or recent? You see when preacher told me about preacher Porter told me about the second blessing I assumed I knew what he was talking about When I was younger I'd been to a lot of different churches and denominations and non-denominational churches and they talked about different moves of God and what to expect Pentecostal church would say you have to talk in tongues, you're not saved. Another church said you have got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and slain and fall on your back and put covered with a sheet, or you're not part of God's kingdom. All these different denominations told me different things and said these are certain things that are marks of being a true Christian. Otherwise, you're not. I remember one time I was uh, a passionate church guy said, "I'd like to come over and do a Bible study with you." And I said, "Great, I love studying the Bible. Let's do it." So he comes over to my house. Opens up a little sheet of paper and says, here's a copy of the questions we're going to answer. I've got the answers. Let's study the Bible. And every one of his answers were denominationally based on what he believed his church said was right and not what the Scripture said. I so said, well, let's look, let's look in the Scriptures. He said, okay, this first one, I got the Scripture reference already written down here for you. Look there, this is what it said. And I said, let's read the whole passage. He goes, oh, we don't need to do that. Hmm. Just one verse. And I said, let's study the Bible. That's what I want to do. And he goes, well, you're no fun to study the Bible with if you're not going to let me teach you what the Bible says. And I said, I'm not going to let you teach me what the Bible says. I'm going to let the Bible teach me what the Bible says. And he got a little upset, but we went on with uh, the Bible study. And he said, in the midst of it, have you been immersed, Baptism." I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I understand the Methodist Church holds an infant can be baptized and that's it. They can be sprinkled and they're fine. And he says, that's not biblical. And I said, really? He said, yeah. And so if you haven't been immersed, you're not a Christian. That's what the Bible says. That's what he's telling me, right? And if you haven't got that baptism, you, you won't get any blessing from the Holy Spirit. You won't get any power from God. He's telling me all these things scripture supposed to have said about it, right? And I'm I'm asking him this question, I said, and what if I've been immersed? He said, Oh, that changes everything, then you're a Christian. And I said, What if you don't know? What if I don't tell you whether I've been immersed or not? What if I've been immersed, sprinkled, and dunked? He said, Well, I you are covered. <laughs> But what church did it? All those different things about how to live out the life and nothing about God changing a heart. When you meet Jesus, aren't you supposed to be changing your heart? Cleanse, new life begins. An old man dies. Isn't that what Scripture talks about? And preacher Porter had uh, mentioned this to me and I had all these ideas that maybe he meant the baptism of the Holy Spirit or it's it's, uh, one denomination I've been to called being slain in the Spirit uh, or that I had to have a a gift of some sort of prophecy or something uh, or a holy unction if you ever heard of that maybe it was the stirring up of the gift that Paul told Timothy or the call or the anointing But I I took his word to mean that I had been anointed by the Holy Spirit and that he could see it. But what if he meant something else? What if I didn't know what he really meant back then? That he had a, a deeper wisdom about a walk with God. That he could see God working on somebody. And not know how or why it happened, but know that it was true. That God had changed somebody just by looking. Wouldn't that be an amazing gift? I think he had it. But let me ask you this. What if there's a deeper blessing God wants to give each one of us? And what if it can only come when we stop looking backwards to the old blessing? To the old testimony? Maybe Preacher Porter was really saying simply that I wasn't resting on the old blessing of my conversion anymore. I wasn't talking about how God saved me when I was 15, but I was talking about what God was doing right now, that it was a present tense God. Maybe a new blessing had come, and it was affecting everything else I was doing. He could see the difference by the way I spoke, because he knew what it sounded like. You ever tried to teach somebody a musical instrument? I have. And I promise you, I tried to teach myself for about 10 minutes violin. I will never self teach anybody a violin. I don't recommend it. I couldn't even make the screen sound like anything but a scratching noise. I mean, it was horrible. And so, when I hear someone play a violin, I go, wow, that's so good. You must have spent a lot of time practicing and learning. And they say, absolutely. It's Christmas, our niece has been taking violin lessons. And she says, I'm not very good. And I'm going, as long as it's more than a scratch, you're better than I ever was. And she got up and played. Got all the notes. I knew the song. She was in time. I had recorded on my phone and I said, you know, one day she's going to look back at this and go, boy, I wasn't very good then, but I can play it better now. I've come a long way. Do you understand? You can look back where you've been at old stuff, like if you ever read your old thoughts or a journal and you look back and go, man, I've grown a lot since then. <laughs> Preacher Porter was way at the end of the preaching chain, okay? I was at this end. He could see a difference in me because he had been there. He could see a change in me. Now, the reason I bring this up is because if you're teaching someone a musical instrument, you don't expect them to know how to play it, let alone to make it sound right. When you're learning guitar and you learn a chord, your fingers are hitting the strings and they're sounding like instead of because your fingers are rubbing against the string when you pluck the pick across it and they just get in the way. If you'll notice, people who are learning guitar, they have a lot of fingernails ripped off of their teeth because they're so mad, because they're in the way. And they start getting calluses and their fingers start to hurt. And, and the, reason, the reason this is all important is because once the chord sounds, mm-hmm. and I hear someone play it, I go, that's it! You got it! It sounds right! It sounds like a chord is supposed to sound. Preacher Porter was saying, I want to encourage you to keep working at this until you get it. When he heard something different, it sounded different. You can't explain it. It just was a beautifully stricken chord of a sermon that day. It wasn't a great sermon. I didn't have great sermons. I didn't know how to write them. I would only preached a few. But it was different to his ears because he knew what he was listening for. He was a master listening to an apprentice saying, You got it! God's got you! You can't do this without God and you got God now. Because you can't take the next step without the passion that comes from the Holy Spirit. You can't serve Jesus on willpower. You serve by the grace of God. And the call is when the fruit begins to really explode. So He was saying to me, You got a second blessing. He meant more than just the first one. I saw you under the fig tree. I found you. Jesus heard the cry of my heart when I was young, but I hadn't heard from Him in ten years. Until that week. And someone who's been there recognizes someone who's getting there. My dad used to feel my arm when I was younger and he'd say, starting to get a muscle, son. You know, make a bicep muscle. It's a guy thing. Ladies, you don't do this, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> But he'd say, and he'd starting to get a muscle there. And I'd feel, well, that's a big one. I'll never have a muscle like that. As I got older and I went to high school and started playing football, he had us working out. And one day, I, uh, he said, make a muscle. I made a muscle. My shirt ripped. He said, you're starting to get a muscle, son. <laughs> now, that's a muscle. He can tell the difference because of what it starts like and what it's supposed to look like at the end. People who've been there know the story. They know what it's like to put the work in, but you can't put the work in in the Gospel of of Jesus Christ and have fruit until God's got something in you that's real. Other people who've been there hear it. It sounds different in their heart, not their ears. God has plans for you. Now I'm preaching a long sermon series to remind you constantly of that fact. He wants to give you a hope and a future. What do we got? We got a P, an L, an A, and here's the N. I'm filling them up with sermon titles and beginnings of sermons. We got an S to go and the word is plans. And the reason why is because Jeremiah 29.11, I've got it ready for us. It's about the plans God has for you. And, I, and I, I've never never heard anybody say this before, but it says about this, it says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. It says He wants to give you a hope and a future. Do you have those yet? Now, you see, you can have a hope and a past, which is depression, depression, and, f- and failure. Or you could have no hope and a future <laughs> of hopelessness. But what kind of future is that? But you got to have a hope and a future. Not just one or the other. You either have a hope and a future or a past and a hopelessness. You can't have one without the other. Nathaniel was told by Jesus immediately when he met him of his second blessing. His second blessing. It took me ten years for each porter to tell me about mine. Thank for God to do it. Listen to what it says. He says, Do you believe now because I saw you under the fig tree? Is that why? He says, You're going to see greater things than that. Mm-hmm. Listen, don't start talking about this fig tree the rest of your life. There's more. Don't get satisfied. Expect God to show you more. And he said, Most assuredly I say to you, that from now on you will see heaven open up. I think preacher Porter saw heaven open up on this young man in that pulpit that Sunday. He saw heaven open up and he acknowledged it. You've got a second blessing. God's got something He's doing in you. And now I know I don't have to encourage you anymore because God will do that by bringing the right people at the right time. You ever heard that old phrase, you ain't seen nothing yet? (laughs) That's kind of like what Jesus was saying to Nathaniel. You ain't seen nothing yet. Don't get caught up in what you're in right now. There's more. Yeah, go ahead and tell people how you met me. But meeting me is the beginning, not the end. For Don't forget that, Nathaniel. You're going to see heaven open up. And you're going to see angels descending and ascending upon the Son of Man, upon me. And I think later Jesus told them what he was talking about. Well, I, as a matter of fact, I know he did. But I can't prove it. I just know what he told him. He said, those angels descending, descending upon the Son of Man, those are the angels from God that are sent to each person to communicate what that person needs back to the Heavenly Father. And then another one comes and ministers to that person. And he says, an angel told me about you under the tree. And the angel said, you need to go look. You need to go look. Don't miss this. The angel said to Jesus, come and see. It's the exact same thing that Philip said to Nathanael, come and see. And the angel told me, come and see, and I saw you. Now I'm going to show you all the heaven, how it works. Mm -hmm. Don't get caught up in one thing, you got a bunch more. But I had to show you that way, so you'll know how I did it. And how it affected you. So you'll know that it can affect others the same way. You've got a ministry, you've got hope and a future now. Because this hope you've got is going to give others a future too. And you've got a future in this hope. today during communion, I want you to ask Jesus something. I want you to ask Him this. What do you have prepared for me next? John 14. Most people use it as a funeral sermon. I use it as a communion service text. In my Father's house are many mansions. For if it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. Remember what He says right after that? Behold, I go and prepare a place for you. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. That place can be a task. It can be a ministry. It can be a location. Philip and Nathaniel, neither one ended up in Jerusalem in their ministry. Neither one. Some of these guys went all the way to India, some of the disciples. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. A lot of times we get caught up in this personal relationship with Jesus. He's going to make me a home up in heaven. I also believe He's preparing a place for you to minister. A way for you to minister. That you can provide hope that He has given you. So, ask Jesus, what do you have prepared for me next? What's next for me? You see, Jesus is in the process of recruiting disciples all the time. And He's recruited you and me. And He asks us this question If not now, when? And if not you, then who? And if not you, who are you going to recruit to go in your place? I love that churches send missionaries out across the world because they're going in their place. But who are you going to send in your place if you're not going to do the work God's asked you to do? Or for the blessing that He's got with your name on it that you're not entering into because you think you've got it already. <laughs> I've already got God's blessing. I've met Jesus. I've got all I need. I'm seer, sure happy i got heaven. That's all I want. God says, you got so much more. You're going to see heaven open up while you're alive. You're going to see me work around the world. And in lives around you, you're going to see it happen. I saw this lady one time, and I thought she was crazy. I really did. I was young, but we were walking down the street one day. There's a homeless man laying there, passed out. Someone walked up while we're standing there. Sets $10 on there and says, God loves you, and attracts. And I said, "They just use it on alcohol." He's laying there drunk. There's no way. And the lady next to me says, "That was Jesus." And I said, "That was ten dollars and an enabler." She said, "I saw Jesus put that ten dollars on there." And I looked at her like, "You're crazy." It's because she sees Jesus when Jesus works. I saw someone trying to enable somebody, but she saw Jesus walk up to this man. How many times have we said, this person's like an angel to me. You're like Jesus to me. Thank you for being God's blessing to me. We're seeing Jesus do it. If we look. So I want you to ask Him, what's next for me? Do you have a blessing or a ministry? Someone I need to talk to? Or someone I need to recruit to go in my place. Tell Him that you want the blessing and the preparation He has for you more than anything. And tell Him you love Him. And ask Him to bless you so that you can bless others. Don't stop with the blessing you got. The blessing is for others. You see, what you don't understand is Nathaniel can't see how God blesses him by opening heaven and an angel coming to him. Because it's at that point when he's at his brokenness that his head's to the ground hurting. And you're not looking to heaven. You can only see heaven open up and do the work of Jesus Christ on others. This was an invitation of Jesus. And Nathaniel will say, you be the next blessing for somebody else.